We're in Acts chapter 10, looking at verses 24 through 35. <clears throat> this morning, let's, uh, let's read God's word. Beginning verse 24, the following day, they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. He's waiting for Peter and his friends to come from Joppa. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up. I, myself, am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. And then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection. As soon as I was sent for, I asked them, For what reason have you sent for me? So Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your arms are remembered in the sight of God. Send, therefore, to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. And Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. O oh, Father, as we open thy word now, as it has been read, help this poor vessel to make the message clear to thy glory. We ask through Christ. Amen. We saw beginning at this chapter that it, it marked a great turning point. A new and remarkable turn in the narrative. Two men have heard from God. One by a vision, the other by what was called a trance. Sort of an outer body of event. A Gentile and a Jew are about to come together under one roof. And the Jew, Peter, will bring the gospel to Cornelius, to his household, to his friends. And that household and the group that will hear Peter gets bigger and bigger the closer Peter gets to Cornelius' house. Remember, Cornelius is a centurion. He's a Roman soldier. And Cornelius' family and close friends have gathered as he enters and as he enters the door, we see that Cornelius hastily went to meet him and, and fell at his feet, worshiping. Now, the first thing we note, that he's a Roman soldier. Roman soldiers basically were exclusively to worship the emperor. But he comes and he falls down at, at Peter's, Peter's feet. And Peter grabs him and lifts him up 
What a change from previous instances. Remember, there are times that Peter and John spoke and they were arrested. We're here. It's almost like they're being worshipped. He is, at least. So Peter lifts him up and says, Oh, I, I am, don't you do this. I am a man. But there's something interesting in just that action. In picking him up, what does he have to do? He has to touch him. So not only has he come into the house of a Gentile, he is now touching a Gentile, which in the old way of doing things would have made him unclean. But we can see this forms a second proof of his being changed. For not only has he entered a Gentile's house, he's now touched one as well. Now, Cornelius and Peter have both experienced a lot in these last four days. And upon Peter's question, verse 29, for what reason have you sent for me? In verses 30 through 33, we see that Cornelius explains to him what has taken place. Now, Peter finds the house quite filled, filled with those who had come to hear him. And in verse 28, he begins with what we might call the introduction to his sermon, his first words. And they sound almost arrogant. They sound almost off-putting. Because it's basically like saying, normally I'm not supposed to be here. But what sounds as arrogance starts a quick display of humility. For he said, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. I mean, it's common knowledge the Samaritan woman at the well, she knew, she said, well, you Jews don't have dealings with us. Why do you want me to get you a drink or, and, and have conversation? And, and that, so it was well known that the Jews did not have anything to do with those who, who weren't Jews. And in fact, we would find that, that Peter would think before all this happened that someone had to become a Jew before they could become a Christian. Well, you know how lawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to, another, to one of another nation. But something happened. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. God has shown me. He has revealed more of his truth to me. It's an important statement because it makes a, a very needed point, a, one very timely for today as well. For on the internet and in social media, we find all these self-proclaimed experts. And we find people who are in their first year of Greek in seminary correcting Greek professors who've been doing it for 30 or 40 years. Anybody can be an expert on YouTube. There is no qualification to be on YouTube except that you have an account and the more people that watch you do stupid things. No, wait a minute, that's TikTok. <laughs> and the Chinese really like that. But, uh, but I digress. 
if there's ever been such a time, except in Hardy's in the early mornings around certain tables, <laughs> where there's been such a display of experts. Everybody knows what's wrong. Everybody has a plan. Everybody has, has a criticism. And we find a world filled with self-proclaimed experts. And it gets even amplified because now on all the, quote, news networks, which are really not news networks, they're entertainment networks, we have people who come in as guests and they're being interviewed, even though they have nothing to do with what the event is, but they're seen as an expert on the topic. And so in this world full of experts, we find it, it really also in the world of Christianity and evangelicalism. Peter here tells us he doesn't know it all. He hasn't learned it all. He has not arrived at the final mountaintop of knowledge. He said, I believed one way, but God has shown me that I hold what I held as an eternal thing was something that was temporary. Peter, like the rest of us, is on a journey. As Paul would write in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12, Not that I have already attained it or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It's important to see, important to understand. We're all, should be on a journey, we should all be seeking to grow. And that's one of the beauties of Christ, of his word. Someone asked me one time, do you ever get, a, do you ever feel like you've said everything a passage has to say? Have you ever exhausted a passage? I said, no, no, because Every time I go back to it, every sermon, every Bible study reveals something that's always been there, but I'm seeing it for the first time. Not that I'm bringing anything new, but it's already been there. It's been mined by others as well, but it was new to me. You see, the well never, ever runs dry. And on the basis of what God had revealed to Peter, he responded, therefore I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. You see what happened? He learned something from God, and this made him twice, if not four times as much, useful in the kingdom of God. You see, there's no resting place. There's no place, well, you know, I've been studying this for so many years, I think I can take it easy now. The more we learn of the Lord, the more useful we are not only to ourselves, but for those around us. In this world of charlatans, and, and I was reading a, 
of a place uh, in, in Africa where it, it has like the world's record for number of people who claim they are Jesus or an angel or, or a prophet. There are a lot of people being duped by those kind of things. Uh, here it's not Africa or a country in Africa, it's Trinity Broadcasting Network. And some of the others on the satellite. God has made him more useful, many times more effective as a preacher of the gospel. So now as he is ready to get to what is needed by them, what is needed to be proclaimed, he hears these words from Cornelius in verse 33. So I sent to you immediately and you have done well to come. Now hear this. This is one of the most beautiful verses a minister will ever hear. Now therefore, we are all present before God to hear the things, all the things commanded you by God. Peter, we're here for one reason, and that's it. And that is to hear all the things that God has commanded you to say. What words of encouragement to Peter for a man who has been in prison for preaching Christ. These words must have sounded as, as music to his ears. <clears throat> it is the delight of all called by God to have those in attendance that have this kind of sentiment. And how good it would be for preachers to stop wasting precious time with long-winded stories and, and wild illustrations if they would just do what we see here. Say the things commanded you by God, not by the culture, not by your desire for acceptance, not by social media, but by God. That's what you should want. And we get to the body of Peter's sermon here. In verse 34, he said, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. What a thing for an ethnic Jew to say. People who always thought that they were the chosen people, the special people of God. He says... That there is no one nation, no one tribe, no one people who have the market cornered on Christianity. In fact, Christianity transcends any nation or nationality. Paul prized his Roman citizenship and he used it to his advantage. But when asked, or if you were to ask him, what is your citizenship? He would say, our citizenship is in heaven. You know, there are some who point to this idea of nations. And if you turn to Revelation chapter 7 for a moment.
And in verse 9, And after these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And so we have this picture of a great multitude of nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes. Now, there are some people who want to say, well, you see, it seems to me when you look at that that it's telling us that your national identity stays with you even into heaven. But look at what it says. Where are the people? They're all gathered around the throne. They're not separated into geographic units. How do they look? They're all dressed the same. Everyone's wearing the same white robe. What do they say? All say the same thing, apparently, in the same language. So I would say, on the basis of that, I would say it's very clear to see what divides us on earth will not do so in heaven. Because it's just one people in heaven. And when he says, well, it's a great multitude from all these nations, what it's saying is exactly what Peter's getting to, that God is not a respecter of persons. Because you're white, brown, red, yellow, or whatever color, it doesn't matter whatever language you speak. Whatever part of the world you're from, if the gospel has come in there, it's because God is calling people out from those areas. So he says in verse 35, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by God. Every nation, whoever fears him, whoever works righteousness, is accepted by him. In this statement, here's Peter making this statement, who's saying now that circumcision or non-circumcision means absolutely nothing. For that matter, and we want to make clear what he's getting at here, because this is another thing that's been misinterpreted. Whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Oh, so the, the way we get accepted by God is to fear him and do righteous things. That's the first thing that people will, will come away from that and, and they live their lives in, in that kind of way. But well, it doesn't matter where you're from. And for the acceptance with God, it really doesn't work out that it's based upon your fear and working of righteousness because they're not the grounds for acceptance. Hear me. They're not the ground for acceptance. They're the fruit of what happens to those who are accepted by God. He, the, he's saying this is the fruit of those who are 
accepted. Because why? Only those who are accepted can be accepted in anything else but Jesus Christ. Only by Christ are we accepted to the Father. Christ is our only means of acceptance. I said, well, yeah, but you got to do, wait a minute. That's question. Would you describe a person who does not fear God, that is, have a reverent awe of God, and a person who does not work righteousness, would you describe them as one who is in union with Christ? We expect a certain fruit, but the fruit comes from the root. <laughs> you don't have apples growing in the air. But do we keep this in mind always? God is not determining our eternity upon our performance. Our eternity has been determined by the performance of Christ. The work of Christ on our behalf. How could we work righteousness apart from him? And what are works of righteousness apart from him? They're unrighteous. I wasn't really planning on going uh, to this place, but I think it's, it's worth, because it, I think it ties in. If we go to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. I hope you'll stay with me for this, because this is going to be a very important thing for us to catch and understand, because, again, it's another area that's been confused. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Now here's where confusion comes in. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as is written, the just shall live by faith. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. How easy it is for us to read this and say, well, he's speaking of an attribute of God. He's speaking of God's righteousness. But what he's telling us here is the righteousness of God is revealed to us. That is the righteousness that we are given in Christ Jesus. A righteousness that comes to us by virtue of him taking the penalty of the law in the place of his people. The righteousness by which we are justified in the sight of God. We can't emphasize too much. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Notice the connection here. He knew him who he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we what might become the righteousness of God in him. The gospel shows us the righteousness of God. Where is it? 
It's in Christ given to us. The righteousness by which we are justified in the sight of God. We see how it is called the righteousness of God because there can be no righteousness of man. Look through the scriptures, you won't find. Well, the righteousness of man is such. And this, to many, is scandalous in what would be called Christianity. There are people who say, oh, no, 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 we've got to have something there. There's, there's some part of us, you know, in sanctification, we're, we're doing something. We're part of something. Well, yeah, you could say, look at, the, look at the world, the human race. You're part of the human race. How are you part of the human race? By being alive. How, how are you part of being Christ? By being alive in Christ. You are participating in that way. And people say, yeah, but there's, there's still that, that thing that we have to do. And yet, they'll argue on this point and then they'll sing, when he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found dressed in his righteousness alone. Faultless to stand before the throne. So sing that. Are you not thinking about what you're singing when you sing that? I don't want to be found with anything else but the righteousness of Christ when he returns. We just read that those around the throne were dressed in white robes, a symbol of holiness and purity and righteousness. But where did they get the robes from? They were given by Christ. We saw some months ago on the evenings a series by Sinclair Ferguson on union with Christ. This is the most important aspect of our lives, our union with Christ. I know it sounds almost blasphemous to say it on Mother's Day. But even more important than Mother's Day, in being a mother or a father or a son or a brother, is to be in union with Christ. It's the most important thing and often the most forgotten. There's no acceptance by the Father of us unless we are union in Christ. Where did idea for that song come from Philippians 3 and verse 9 and to be found in him not having my own righteousness which is from the law but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness which is from God the righteousness of God revealed in the gospel that righteousness that comes to us from God through Jesus Christ. See, charitable works done apart from Christ, done not from the glory of God, are selfish works. They really are. Because the motivation behind them is, I'm going to do something that will make God happy with me. That's selfish. 
Well, if I help people, I'm going to feel better about myself. Selfish. I want my name inscribed on a brick in that building. For anything that we do, that we think by doing it, we are appeasing God. We're evening the score. We're adding to our account. Anything we do like that is selfish and not for the glory of God. And that's what he's getting off across and has been to a man who everybody would say, he's a great man. He's a great friend to the Jews and all. Cornelius put him way up there amongst humanity, but charitable works apart from Christ don't get you there. That's why Peter is there. That's why Peter's been summoned. That's why God said to Cornelius, send for Peter. I know what you've done, but you're not getting what you need. Here's what you need, and Peter will bring it to you. And Peter brings him the gospel, the way of salvation. The fact of Peter's presence makes it clear that Cornelius needed to know the gospel because the gospel, the gospel, how do I understand the gospel? The gospel is always this. What God has done. Even the most Arminian person out there will say, what's, what, what's the gospel? Jesus Christ died to save sinners. The gospel's always what God has done and never what we have done. It's always what he has done. Beginning verse 36, he'll present Christ to the assembly. He'll give ten, ten things in his message about the glory of Christ that we'll, Lord willing, look at next week. But there are just a few things that we'll take from looking at this. Verse 25, misplaced reverence. It's true reverence, but it's misplaced. Cornelius falling down at Peter's feet to worship him. This man will tell us what God would have us to know. And his heart is so delighted to see Peter. But we have to separate the man and the message in such a degree because we don't want to get into the personality cults. We don't want to get into the worship of man. And Peter will not allow that. It's what Peter has come to bring. That's the important thing. It's the message. The message from God. Secondly, the Lord has much to teach us. Even the oldest, longing, longest serving, he has something to teach for all of us. And you know what it is? Every time he does, it's a continuing sign of his mercy, of his kindness. 
Thirdly, God's not a respecter of persons. Doesn't matter where you're from, how you speak. But whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And then lastly, what Christ has done is our only source of acceptance with God. Let's stand together.